John chapter 18, you guys, we're getting into just kind of a dark and sobering time in the life of Jesus as his days of ministry on earth in person are uh, winding down into that final day. And we're going to see that betrayal and that arrest happen today in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's here where we see what one preacher called a travesty of justice. A travesty of justice. And all we're going to get through today is the betrayal, uh, the arrest, and the um, trial in the high priest's house of Annas and his son-in-law, Caiaphas. That's as far as we're going to make it today, at least according to my notes. Um, And we will see that travesty of justice begin. One commentary wrote, in the annals of history and in the laws of jurisprudence, No travesty of justice has ever taken place like this one. If you're a fan of courtroom dramas like I am, and there's so many good ones out there, you know, back in the day it was Matlock, you know, and and Perry Mason, you know, and then the Law and Orders, you know, and, you know, it all starts out with vague and really poor dialogue, and someone's about to find a body, you know, and, uh, and then that body, you know, the murder investigation, and they find themselves in court, and people who are accused, and this and that. And you guys, we're going to find a, a serious courtroom drama unfold with many false witnesses and false testimony and judges that have their own interest in hand rather than any kind of real uh, fair justice or for the accused. And so we're going to see that today. We're going to get into it right now. <clears throat> when Jesus had spoke these words, verse 1. He went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. So just beginning with when Jesus had spoke these words, it's pointing back to the last four chapters from chapters 13 through chapter 17. Some writers say it was really at chapter 14 that you see those words begin because chapter 13 was a lot of action. It was a lot of Jesus clothing himself in the servant's garments and kneeling down before his disciples and washing their feet. But from that moment in chapter 13, clear through chapter 17, Jesus is speaking great words of comfort and encouragement and hope and exhortation over the disciples. And I just kind of wrote down some of those. If you want to flip back to John chapter 13, I, I wrote out some highlights of things that Jesus had just spoken. I mean, it's kind of a crazy, interesting opening in chapter 18. When he had spoken these things, well, it was really four chapters of speaking things out. And so John chapter 13, look at verse 14, right after Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. <clears throat> if, then your, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And then hop down to verses 34 and 35, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, you know, when Jesus had spoken these things and, and John the evangelist just thinks back to chapter 13 and this call to loving one another this call to serving one another. It's a new commandment, although there's nothing new about it. It's really the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And so uh, it's a way that we show the world that we're followers of Jesus by the way that we're loving one another, by the way that we care for one another, that we're kind and compassionate and uh, patient and not rude to one another. And we think no evil of one another and we bear all things and hope all things and believe all things and endure all things, as Paul says, in chapter 13, that great love chapter of 1 Corinthians. And so after Jesus had just said all these things, that great discourse on love, right after he had just full on got down on his knees and washed the feet of his disciples, including the one that would betray him within a couple of hours. Go to the next chapter. I mean, there's too much to just read all it. I mean, what are we going to do, read it all again? Um, but let me just throw out a couple highlights, right? The next chapter, John 14, 3 and 4, a great encouragement Jesus had just told them that I'm going away from you. And this caused great uh, worry upon the disciples' heart. They were really worried about that. Where are you going? Why are you leaving us alone? And, and he says in verses 3 and 4, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Jump down to verse 6. Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jump down to verses 16 and eight through 18. I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you, in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus in chapter 14 saying, I'm gonna go away. I'm gonna go make a way for you through the cross. I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. But when I go away, I'm not gonna leave you guys hanging. I'm not gonna leave you guys on your own. I'm gonna do something even better. I'm gonna send the third person of the Trinity and he is gonna come and he's gonna be with you all the time. He's going to be in you, which by the way is closer than with you. And he is going to help you remember me and the things that I've said. He's going to give you power and courage and gifts. And, uh, and then in chapter uh, 14, still look at verse 26, the helper is also called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's called the helper whom the father will send in my name. He's going to teach you all things and bring your remembrance, all things that I said to you. And so, again, chapter 18 starts out with, and after Jesus had said these things, what things? You got to go back a bunch of chapters because it was just this long, long time of Jesus talking and saying incredible things like love one another, like I'm going away, but don't worry, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send God, the Holy Spirit to be with you, in you. We know from the book of Acts, upon you so that you can be bold and courageous and tell people about me, so they have spiritual gifts that can build up the church. This is all very encouraging stuff that we don't want to just brush over with a, after he said these things, all right? And then uh, not only that, he's going to bring to remembrance all the things that Jesus had said. Going to the next chapter, John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus tells the disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And so this great encouragement to be those who abide with Jesus, and really the rest of chapter 15, <clears throat> are just signs of what it looks like when people abide with Jesus and dwell with Jesus. And even today, in 2021 Prineville, we dwell with Jesus. We spend time with Jesus. We don't leave Jesus and depart from Jesus. And when we do, there will be all kinds of wonderful fruit that follow our abiding with the vine. Again, in chapter 15, 12, and 13, <clears throat> this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. That's an evidence of abiding with Jesus. When we abide with Jesus, we're loving Jesus, we're loving people, and we just willingly lay down our life in sacrificial love and service with one another. John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. I'm starting to wonder if I bit off more than I can chew with all these statements, but they're so good. But when the helper comes, <clears throat> so by the way, in John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, he's going to keep referring to the helper, the Holy Spirit, who he's going to send, who's going to be with us, in us, upon us, and is going to help us live this Christian life. By the way, that's part of the new covenant. That's part of the gospel. There's no gospel without the help and the power of the Holy Spirit, just so you know. All right. So Jesus is laying out, this is how we're going to do this thing after I die on the cross for your sins, rise from the dead and ascend to heaven. This is how you guys are going to go take the world for me in the next couple thousand years, okay? All right, by the way, we're living in that right now. Um, <clears throat> did I actually read that passage? John chapter 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Let's go to the next chapter. Aren't you guys having fun just flipping through the book of John with me? Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. Did you know that Jesus actually said that? It's actually better if I'm not with you. We're going to abide, but I'm going to go away. It's better that I go away because right now it's just you and me right here in this location right here right now. But when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he can be in every single one of you. And you guys can go out and fulfill what was the, the Garden of Eden Go out, be fruitful, and multiply. What, do you, what does that mean? Like, have a really big family. I don't know if that sounds really good. Okay, 
Like, is that what that is? Like, go out and just have a bunch of kids who have a bunch of kids who have a bunch of kids. Who will have a bunch of kids? Okay, but, you know, is that what? No, it's talking about go and proclaim and display the glory of God in whose image you were made. And, of course, have a bunch of kids. But that's a whole other story. All right? <clears throat> and, uh, and so the helper will come. It's better that I go away because the helper will come. I'll send him to you. And in verse 8, when I... But when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. John chapter 16, verse 12 through 14. I have still many things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. <laughs> That's actually literally right now. I have so many things to say to you, but you can't. Hand- okay, we still have like a half an hour, so bear with me, right? Uh, and so he says, however, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So more talk about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Guys, that was from our sermon just a couple weeks ago, and I'm telling you, it's rocked my world, and it's been such a comfort and hope in the last week at least, of poor Titus being in pain and, you know, Lindsay being in the hospital and Ben, and I wasn't able to get in with them, and it was just a whole thing. Finally, the Lord opened up the door for me to be there. But, you know, I just found myself just in tears by myself a couple of times, just thinking of my sweet little boy and just wanting to be with him while he's suffering and in pain and even in a little bit of um, jeopardy going under anesthesia. And so I was just like worried, you know. And the Lord's like, hey, remember that sermon you just preached from John chapter 16, verse 33? Oh, that's a, definitely a GMC. I know it well, but it's not mine because I parked over here. Okay, so, oh, oh, perfect. <laughs> no worries. Hey, totally okay. Here at Calvary Chapel of Prineville, we value car security. And we're in a neighborhood where it's not a bad idea to set that old alarm, okay? All right. <clears throat> I don't even know what I was talking about. It was good, though. Oh, I've overcome the world. All right. So in this world, you'll have tribulation or painful times and trials, but don't, don't let it get to you because I've just completely kicked the world's rear. Like, I am completely in charge. I'm completely in control. I've got a plan. And even right now, I'm on the throne. And so anything that's troubling your heart right now about the dynamics of what are happening in the world, oh, this party and that party and this governor and that governor and this resolution that's going through and mandates and blah, 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 blah. Man, it's just like, just be like, forget it. Like, forget about it. Like, yeah, maybe we have some responsibilities as citizens that the Lord will lead you in. But don't let it just completely destroy you and take away your joy. And don't let, you, don't let it let you lose focus on the mission that God has put you on. Okay? And so just, man, be of good cheer, in fact. I've overcome the world, Jesus says. So walk around, with, turn that frown upside down, and be happy, all right? <clears throat> Moving right along. After Jesus had said all of these things, all right? That's chapter 18. Let's go to verse, uh, chapter 17. Then Jesus starts praying. He's with the disciples and he just starts praying. He prays for himself. He prays for the disciples. He prays for the future disciples to come, which by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, he's going to be praying for you in just a second. Pretty exciting. And so John chapter 17, Jesus spoke these words, lifted his eyes to heaven and said, father, the hour has come glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. And as you've given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So Jesus just prays out that the time of glory, the glory of the cross, all right, let's do this thing. Let it come, Lord. And also let it be something that brings eternal life to the entire world. Uh, Then in chapter 17, verse 9, he prays for the disciples. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but to those you've given me, for they are yours. And then in verse 17 and 18, he prays for disciples, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. So Jesus, a missionary son who was sent by a missionary father, 
is now sending out his people to be missionaries into the world. And then finally, John chapter 17, verse 20. I do not pray for these 11 disciples alone. Remember, there were 12, but Judas, right? So I don't just pray for these 11 alone, but I also pray for all of those who will believe in me through their word. Does anybody here believe in Jesus Christ today? Is that not awesome? Look around this room. Like 11 dudes that Jesus prayed for in a garden went from this scary night out of Jerusalem into their county and into their region, told people about Jesus, then went from there into Asia, Asia Minor, told those people about Jesus, then went from there into Europe, told those people about Jesus, and then from Europe over across that big old pond, you know, told all those Americans about Jesus, all the way over here, natives hearing about Jesus, like it's awesome. And here we are, and we can look around and say, Jesus prayed that this would happen, and here we are loving Jesus today. Praise God. Let's give him a hand. I don't know if anyone's excited about that. <clears throat> I mean, it's all right. I mean, it was only 2,000 years ago that Jesus prayed that this would happen, and here we are living it out. You know, like, it's amazing. It's so exciting. All right. Time to get in chapter 18, right? Am I right about that? And now set the sermon clock right now. Okay. I'm just joking. So after Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron. Uh, Next week, we're going to have a map, or in the weeks to come when I keep teaching through this, we're going to have a map that shows the route through Jerusalem and uh, in the area that Jesus took tonight. It's something like two and a half miles that Jesus is going to walk in this evening while he's under trial and getting beaten up, okay? So uh, so right now, he's going to leave the upper room. And he's going to walk kind of across the old city, Jerusalem, and he's going to cross the Kidron Valley and go up the Mount of Olives, okay? So the Brook Kidron is a really beautiful and interesting historical place. One uh, writer called it that black and bloody brook. And in fact, its name speaks of black and it also speaks of cedars. And what it speaks of is that it was this place where there were constantly dark things that would happen in this valley. If you read the Old Testament, a lot of times whenever Israel would worship idols and then a revival would happen and they'd realize that they'd sinned against God, they would take these idols and they'd take them just down into the Kidron Valley and they'd bust them up and break them up and burn them down there. Now what's really interesting about the Kidron Valley and the brook that flew flew through, 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 you know what I mean, uh, is that there was a trough that went from the Temple Mount and carried blood from all the sacrificial animals down into the Kidron Valley and into the brook Kidron. And that would create a long and windy wadi. Let's all say that together. A a long and windy wadi, all right, all the way down to the Dead Sea, okay? So essentially when animals were slaughtered, some of that blood used in the sacrifice and on the altars, and then essentially just poured out by gallons and gallons and millions of gallons out Uh, through a trough, down into this little valley, right outside the front doors, through the brook, and all the way out to the Dead Sea, really essentially covering Israel with the blood of the Lamb, okay? And uh, and so here tonight, we have Jesus leaving Jerusalem. I just, I got to get the displays up there in the pictures so that it's all there for you. By the way, Israel 2022, in November, we're going to Israel, so start saving up. That's like a year and a month, so start, you know, that's a Christmas present. Yeah, there will be lots about the cost and everything later. But still, just start saving up right now, trust me. Okay? And we'll be in this space. We'll be right here. It'll all be virtual reality Bible. Okay? And as you're there, you'll see that Jesus came down, stepped across the book, the brook. Okay? The bloody brook. Because what time of year was it? Passover. So there was blood flowing through this brook. The, the Lamb of God crossed over the blood of the lamb, and went up the slope to the uh, Mount of Olives, to a garden, to an olive grove called the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? Uh, Moving right along, it says that he, went to where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. 
So he crosses the Brook Kidron, and it's just amazing how it's all just right there within walking distance. It's all, I mean, really, you can stand on the, the Hill of Olives, you know, the Mount of Olives, and you can just see there's the Garden of Gethsemane right there. There's the Brook Kidron right there. There's, the, um, there's Jerusalem right there on the hill of Mount Moriah. There's the, the wall around Jerusalem. There's where the temple used to sit. Now, next to the temple, there's the uh, Dome of the Rock, you know? And so you can just picture everything as you're right there. And as we would go to the Garden of Gethsemane, we would go to this place where the Bible says Jesus would frequent with his disciples. And especially, he would frequent during this week, this Passion Week. He spent a lot of time in the Garden of Gethsemane. He spent a lot of time staying just up the hill in Bethany. And uh, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane... Uh, was an olive grove full of olive trees. And even today, you can go there, and there are 2,000-year-old olive trees that are still there that were there from the time of Jesus. So you're in the garden, and you're with the trees that Jesus was with. Now, it's hilarious, because um, these trees look like they're 2,000 years old. They're like, somebody just cut me down already, you know? And they're just all, you know, like, I can't handle it as much more, you know. I shouldn't have taken my vitamins because, you know. And it's so funny because they're like leaning over, finally. And someone comes up and props them up. Like, they'll just like stick a stick on them. And they're like, no. And then they keep living. And then, you know, 20 years later, someone goes and they build like a nice ceramic cast around that arm of that olive tree. And they're like, I'm going to live forever, you know. And and the same trees that are there. And these, in the same olive presses are there these giant concrete blocks that you would stick olives under them and then bam 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 and then the olive oil would trickle out and go down the little channel and into the bowl and would you believe that gethsemane means olive press it means olive press and what do you think happened to jesus while he was in gethsemane now john doesn't cover it okay but the other gospels do especially luke And it was there that Jesus went and he prayed and he cried out to the father as he was pressed before the night of his crucifixion. He was pressed to cry out to the Lord. If there's any other way for us to redeem mankind and save them from their sin, if there's any other way than for me to go to the cross and that excruciating pain, if there's any other way, especially for me to be separated from you, Father, the fellowship that we've had since from before the foundation of the world, if there's any way for you to not turn your back and your face from me, um, let's do that. If there's any other way than for me to die. If maybe these people are actually pretty good people, all right, and they're pretty righteous, self-righteous, and they can just kind of make it on their own and they don't really need God to die a, a crucified death on a Roman implement of execution, then let's do that way. Like, what about those Prineville people that are going to come in a couple that They're pretty awesome. Red-blooded Americans. Man, I love them. If there's any other way, maybe one of those guys could rise up for, for us. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And he prayed. Three different times he prayed that prayer without maybe the extra stuff. Okay? And as he did, you know what Luke's gospel says? He sweat great drops of blood. You know that doctors have studied that that's an actual medical condition. I'm going to butcher it. Something like hematidrosis or something like that. And it means you've gone through so much strain and so much stress that your capillaries burst in your skin and it causes blood to come out your sweat pores. That's what Jesus went through that night as he realized the agony that awaited him, especially even momentary separation from the father who he'd been with since before the foundation of the world. So it was there at Gethsemane that Jesus went through the olive press, okay? And it was there at Gethsemane where Jesus used to spend a lot of time, special time with his buds. Do you guys have any places like that? Special time with your, you do? Totally? Yeah, you're like, totally. Man caves, right? This was Jesus' man cave, okay? Uh, This was Jesus' park, you know? This was Jesus' mountain getaway, you know? And, uh, and so he, he entered this place. It, there was this garden. And I was reminded as I was studying of my grandpa's favorite song. Uh, it was written by Austin Miles in 1913. Anybody know it? I Come to the Garden. You guys know it? I actually never really got the song because I'm not a huge garden guy. But 
The other day, Lindsay and I were driving back from Palina. It's like, so what's up with this time with the garden, you know? And then as I was studying today, I was like, the garden, the secret garden, right? And do you guys know the hymn? Let's all sing it. Let's stand. No, don't stand. It says, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share while we tarry there, none other has ever known. Do you know that that's what the disciples experienced at the Garden of Gethsemane? We come, me and my 12, 11 brothers, you know, we come to the garden alone and we just spend time with Jesus while the, I don't know if there were roses in there, there's, I think there's roses now, uh, you know, while the dew is still there and and we just hear his voice and Jesus is talking with us and there's just nothing like it. And, you know, it was my grandpa's favorite song, and he was a rose guy. He had a ton of roses, and so I can think of him trimming his roses and singing about his time with Jesus. And uh, did you know that's available for you today? That you can have that intimate time with Jesus in the garden with Jesus, just time alone with him? It's amazing for me to just step back from all that's going on in my life and all that's going on in my world, and we've got so much stacked day-to-day in our schedule. We're over here. We're driving over here. We're doing this, that, and the other. Soccer practice and ranch ministry. Got to go to Palina and I'm remodeling my house right now and I got to get this door in me. This, that, and the other. And the Lord's like, do you remember that I came to this earth? Do you even remember like I actually was here? There's dirt over there that I touched. And do you know that I'm actually here right now? I made a way for you to just, just enter into time with me and talk to me. And the voice I share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He's bought that for us by his blood. We can spend that time with him. And so they went to the garden alone. We're never going to get through Caiaphas' trials today. I apologize. I know you guys were really looking forward to that. I'm liking our garden time, though. Literally an olive garden. I like the olive garden. Okay. (laughs) Verse 2. And Judas, you know, when you read Esther, you know, when you read Esther, that the Jews, when they read Esther and they read of Haman, the bad guy, they hiss when they read Esther. Did you guys know that? Read the book of Esther and and they would pound their foot and they hiss when they read of um, Haman. That's me when I read of Judas and Judas. What a jerk. Good thing I'm not anything like him. Anyways, and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. You know, Jesus went to a place, because Jesus knew what was going down. Jesus went to a place where he knew that Judas was going to find him to betray him. It was like, Judas is like, Jesus is like, let me help you out, Judas. Like, you're going to try to do this thing. It's got to be done. Here it is, our favorite hangout spot, the man cave, okay? Um, It's been said that one of the greatest treacheries of Judas was that he actually went to this special place, the garden, to betray and arrest Jesus and to begin this torturous process. Uh, Chris and I were talking about it as we were driving yesterday in the truck, and Chris goes, yeah, forget that he betrayed the Son of God, but that he did it in the man cave? That's the big deal. I was like, no, Chris, that's not the big deal. No, I'm kidding. We're still learning, though, aren't we? Okay. Verse 3. He's going to beat me up after church. Then, Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches torches and weapons. So Judas, yes, good old Judas, he got a detachment of troops. Maybe your version says cohort of troops. He took Roman soldiers, and let me just, there's a couple long versions of this. Let me just specify. Um, A full auxiliary cohort of Roman soldiers had a paper strength of a thousand men, 760 foot soldiers, 
240 cavalry and would be led by a chill arch, which meant a leader of a thousand or a commander. In practice, a cohort numbered, normally numbered 600 men, but in any case, the noun can refer to a, of about 200 men. So it's not necessarily to assume that an entire uh, maniple was present. It goes on and on and on. But to study this this week for me uh, and to realize, like, Judas went and got anywhere from 1,000 Roman soldiers to 200 Roman. Either way, it's a lot, right? So feel free to adjust as you'd like. Um, not to mention the temple guards and the high priest servants. They all come to the garden, and what do they have with them? Torches. John's the only guy that references the torches. So you kind of have this beauty and the beast moment, you know, and Gaston is like, kill the beast, kill the beast. And everyone's like, yeah. And so they're going, and they've got torches, and they've got swords, and they've got clubs, and they are coming to take by force this uh, preacher that seems to be causing a bit of a problem around town, okay? And so with lanterns and torches and weapons, uh, it was Guzik that said, this shows that Judas misunderstood the nature of Jesus and at the same time underestimated his power. Had Jesus been of the nature to physically battle against Judas and the devil driving the betrayer, the detachment of troops was not enough. And then it was uh, another preacher that said, a sinless man is in an appointment with a garden about to do battle with Satan's representative. The first time this happened in a garden, the Garden of Eden, the sinless man failed. The second Adam would not. Jesus is going to win this battle. And so, verse 4 Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? So here they are in the garden. Jesus, through the other gospel accounts, is just sweat drops of blood. He spent time praying that if there's any other way, let this cut pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then the will of the Father is shown by Judas coming with this great number of, of troops and guards, okay? And so the great number, they show up and... I know myself, I'm so much like these disciples, like, I just would, I would cower and end up running away. I just, I hate confrontation and, you know, something about just like law enforcement and you're just like, all of a sudden I'm like a little boy and I'm like, well, yes, you know, you know, and, uh, and, and so here we have Jesus and when Judas shows up with all these men, all these soldiers, Jesus just goes and he hides behind one of those crippling olive trees. And he's like, I hope they don't find me. No, what does Jesus do? He steps up and he shows great courage. And he goes and he is the confronter in the situation. He is the one that asks them, who are you looking for? Like they don't have to search around. They don't have to go and check ID cards. You know, they know exactly... You know, he knows exactly who they're looking for, and he just calls it out. Who are you looking for? Uh, Leon Morris said, The soldiers had come out secretly to arrest a fleeing peasant. In the gloom, they find themselves confronted by a commanding figure who, so far from running away, comes out to meet them and speaks to them in the very language of deity. And if you've ever watched, it's been a long time for me, but the movie Spartacus you know, there's that scene where, you know, Spartacus is about to be crucified and executed, and they're wondering, where is this Spartacus? Where is he? We, you know, he's leading this rebellion, and we've got to bring justice, and we're going to execute him for causing this rebellion. Where's Spartacus? Where is Spartacus? You know, and then, like, all of the brave soldiers that have fought with Spartacus, they stand up, and they say, I am Spartacus, you know, and, and then another guy, no, I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. And everyone's like, everyone's Spartacus, apparently, you know. It's the old school Slim Shady. You know, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? Please stand up, okay? And so, I, I'm not, I don't even know that song. I just know that part. I don't know if it's bad, so don't go Google it, okay? But I do like M&Ms, though, okay? And, and so they come. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. No, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. No, I, you know, it's like, oh, no, all these guys are Jesus of Nazareth. What are we going to do? Uh, that's not at all what happened. Verse 5, they answered him, 
Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. These three words are so incredible. I am he. Ego, I me. It references back to Exodus chapter 3. Will you guys go there with me? A second book of the Bible. So if you brought your Bible, Exodus, so it starts out Genesis, then Exodus, okay? And just go to chapter 3. This is the burning bush passage. Then Moses said to God, this is 3.13, Exodus 3.13. Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So this is, God is calling Moses to go back into Egypt and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. What should I say? Like, what authority am I even speaking from here? Why should he listen to me? What should I say to them? Verse 14, and God said to Moses, tell him, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So this references the burning bush passage that Yahweh, God, can just call himself I am. You know when someone calls you on the phone, and now it's hard with cell phones and caller ID, but back in the day, you know, you'd be like, hello, who could this possibly be? And they just say, hey, it's me. And you're like, I totally know who you are because I know your voice. You know, you're in a relationship where you can say, hey, it's me. That's the same with the Lord. Like, who should we say it is? He's like, I am. Oh, yeah, there's only one of you. I am, okay? And so in, in this passage of John, when Jesus says, I am he, the Jews know that Jesus is referencing that he's God. In fact, it takes us to the purpose of the whole book of John. Anybody know what it is? John chapter 20, verse, yeah. John, I think it's John 20, 21. Or something like that, or 31, sorry. Okay. You guys haven't memorized though, right? And these things were written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that by believing you might have life in his name. So why is the garden of Gethsemane passage written to us in John chapter 18? And why is this little story about Jesus standing up bravely and said, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Why would John care to write that part? These things were written so that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that by believing you might have life in his name. So hopefully today, it's our prayer right now. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe. Like Jesus so courageously stood up and was like, I'm God, what you gonna do about it? Okay, that's what's going on right here. Okay, and it is, of course, taking us back to John eight fifty six. Will you go there real quick with me? And by the way, can you give me eight minutes? Eight minutes. That's all I'm asking for, okay? Before the torches and the swords and the clubs come out. <clears throat> John eight fifty six. John records Jesus in a, an intense conversation with the Jewish leaders, Okay? And it's in John 8, 56 that Jesus tells them, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. (gasps) No. You guys know what Jesus just said to them? He's like, I was before Abraham. And they're like, you're not even 50. What do you mean you were before Abraham? He's like, before even Abraham was I am. And their mind goes back to the burning bush passage to God who said, call me I am. And Jesus is here calling himself I am. And they're putting all the puzzle pieces together. He's saying he's God. And the critics of Christianity and the cults would say that Jesus never claimed to be God and John never thought that Jesus was God and the Jews never thought Jesus was God. That is just complete malarkey, you guys. 
Jesus knew that he was saying that he was God. The Jews knew that Jesus was saying he was God. And John the evangelist said Jesus knew he was saying he was God. And that's why John said, these things are written so you believe that Jesus is the son of God. He is. I am. Not me, but he. He is. Okay? All right. Tasker says, the Greek, I am, ego, I, me, rendered I am, he might well suggest divinity from those familiar Greek words. It's the rendering of the sacred name of God. Now, verse six. Now, when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Okay, so we've got something like at least 200 people here coming to get Jesus in the quiet garden. Maybe a thousand people. Okay, imagine. They're all, let's get them. And, and you can just imagine one of these soldiers, like getting ready in the morning, putting on his buckle and his buckler and his shield and all that. And, and his wife's like, so what do you think you've got going on today? You know, he's like, well, you know, the, the norm, but kind of here, there's like a rabble rouser around some preacher that's kind of frustrating the Jewish leaders. And we're going to go arrest him, bring him in. It's probably going to be no big deal. You know, I mean, normally when we go get these street preachers, it's like, all right, come on. You just kind of grab him by the ear and like drag him off, you know. And uh, that's probably what the day is going to be like. And then he comes back that night. She's like, so how was your day? And, you know, did you get him by the ear and lead him off? And he's like, this guy, I've never seen anything like it. This guy called Jesus the Nazarene. Like we show up, thousand of us. He's got his like pathetic little band of people hanging out in the garden. You know, the dew is still on the roses, you know. And uh, as we get there, like he stands up and says, who are you looking for? Now, I've seen The Office, and I remember when Michael Scott was in trouble, and he said, you know what you got to do in those meetings is you got to be the first one to talk, and you got to sit a little bit higher than everyone else in the office, and that shows who's the boss, and that's what Jesus did. (laughs) Jesus wasn't about to be bested by Judas, so Jesus stood up, and he sat a little bit taller, and he said, who are you looking for? And this soldier, as he's telling his wife, and he's downloading that night, as they get ready for bed, he says, I've never seen anything like this. He said, I am... And all of us fell over backwards. We were all struck down. We all were knocked over backwards. I don't know what happened. It was almost like the earth shook. Just came right out from us. The rug was pulled out and we were laying on the ground. And as we kind of came to, what is going on? We climbed back up. There he is standing there again. And he says, I'll ask you again. Who are you looking for? My heart was beaten. Okay. By the way, this is all a paraphrase. It's true. Trap says, here our Savior let out a little beam of his majesty, of his deity, and 500 men fell before him. That was just a little beam of his, I am. <laughs> okay, probably wasn't like that. But. And then Clark says, the very breath of his mouth confounded and drove back and struck them down to the earth. Verse seven, then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. (laughs) Okay. This doubles his authority in the moment, in the confrontation. They were arresting him and he had to ask them twice what they were there for. Jesus answered in verse eight, I've told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, Let these go their way. I already told you. And then he stands up to protect his sheep. It was, so as verse nine says that the saying could be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I've lost none. And so it's just amazing. The shepherd protects his sheep. John chapter 10, the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. A hireling runs and hides whenever danger comes because they're not his sheep. But Jesus stood up and said, who are you looking for? I am he. And if you're looking for me, I've already told you I'm him. You can let these guys go. Okay. And so uh, we'll have the worship team come on up right now. And by the way, fulfillment of prophecy and fulfillment of his prophecy. Uh, And then verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So there's an interesting passage in Luke in chapter 22 at the Last Supper. 
when Jesus is telling them, the disciples, basically like from here on out, because I'm leaving you, um, it's going to be a new period of church history and there's going to be some danger. And you remember how, when I sent you out before I said, don't provide any money for your belt, any cloak for your warmth. It's all going to be provided. Now you need to be taking that stuff with you as you go out. And he even says an interesting thing. Don't make it more than it needs to be. And we all probably need to research what it is. But he says, and if you don't have a sword, get a sword. Okay. All you NRA guys are like, yeah, proof text. I always was looking for it. All right. Everyone's like, okay, no, no, keep them holstered. Okay. But it's this hilarious thing in in Luke chapter 22, because he says, and if you don't have a sword, get a sword. And then one of the disciples says, it's funny. It's like, they're all sitting, you know, Middle Eastern style around a little table on the ground. And then Peter's like, he whips out two swords <laughs> and he goes, here's two. <laughs> and you can just picture, he doesn't really know how to hold them and they're kind of clanking together. And Jesus goes, it's enough. <laughs> and then they go to the garden. Okay. It's an interesting thing. Do your own research on it. We don't have time for this stuff, but here we have him in the garden. John's the one that calls him out who it is. The other disciples just say one guy with a sword. John's like, it was Peter. We all know that, right? It was Peter. <laughs> Cuts off the high priest uh, servant Malchus's, what ear? Right ear. Okay. So uh, some have said, and there's not a ton of evidence, but that if Peter was right-handed and he was going to, and I don't know what kind of lop he was doing here. I don't know much about fencing and sorcery or swordery, (laughs) swordery (laughs) or sorcery. I don't know much about sorcery. I know a little, uh, If he was going after this Malchus from the front, he probably would have chopped off his left ear. If he was right-handed, some say that he may have come at him from behind, a cheap shot, okay? And that it wasn't courageous of Peter, and he was just kind of acting in classic Peter slash Rory fashion of taking matters into his own hands, like, we're going to solve this right now. And the Lord will be like, the Lord says, look at it. Uh, where is it? Oh, the servant's name was, oh, okay, okay, okay. okay so it's Luke, uh, Luke 22 and Luke twenty two forty nine and Matthew chapter 26, um, and Luke twenty two fifty one. sorry, that's a lot, but Jesus picks the ear up off the ground and just so politely, you guys, these guys are there to arrest him and take him to be killed. And he, there's been all this drop it on the ground drama and stuff. There's an ear on the ground. Peter just sucker punched Malchus, you know, with a sword. Jesus picks the ear up and then he just says, permit me now even this. Like, is it okay if I heal you? (laughs) You know, (laughs) and heals them. And, and we're going to see next time we get back into John, by the way, Chris was supposed to preach today, and Chris had to go on a trip to get a motorhome to live in for a little while, so Chris didn't preach today, in case you're wondering, but it's me, so we'll see what happens next week. The, just the whole story in John 18 is just like a bunch of dirty rottens the whole time. You got Judas, just doing what he's doing, and then you've got Malchus, who gets his ear cut off, and Jesus heals him, and does Malchus go, hold up, hold up, man, that's incredible. Where'd you learn how to do that? Guys, I think think we're making a mistake here. No, he's like, put your hands up. I'm going to put the handcuffs on you right now. It's just a bummer. Dirty rotten after dirty rotten. We're going to see it through chapter 18. And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Like at some point or another, we've got to do this thing. We've got to fulfill the gospel and I've got to lay my life down for the sins of the world. Verse 12, this is it. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And you guys can set your things aside. The betrayal, the rest, arrest, the treachery in the garden. Going to be led now off to trial, um, mock trials before some four different rulers uh, before the night is up. And set your things aside. Let's stand together.
just think of Jesus so nice, like an ear on the ground, and he's just like, hey, is it okay if I just heal you real quick? There's an old hymn from 1854, Come to Jesus. Was there ever kindest shepherd, half so gentle, half so sweet, as the Savior who would have us come and gather around his feet? It is God. His love looks mighty, but is mightier than it seems. Tis our Father, and his kindness goes out far beyond our dreams. And so in the midst of all the treachery, in the midst of his own friend betraying him, in the midst of just helping a guy and still getting arrested, and he's going to go off to just a trial that's just a sham, a sham trial. Here he is just looking out for other people, standing up for his disciples, protecting them. He still does that today for you, his disciples. Here he is healing even his enemy's ear. And, the, you know, our God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Has there ever been a better shepherd, even half so kind and half so sweet? Guys, here is Jesus, and he calls us to come and gather around his feet. So what do you do? What do you do with that? I mean, it's tempting to just like, okay, let's just go ahead and erase everything that just happened in the last hour and a half here and just get on with our Sunday. Or you might humble yourself right now during this next song. You could humble yourself before Almighty God and just say, I am hearing about this Jesus who loves and who gives himself up as a sacrifice for sin. I am hearing about this Jesus that is brave and courageous and and is going to go and lay his life down so that I can be forgiven of everything I've done, of all my rebellions, of all of my stubbornness, of all of my idolatry, of all the times that I thought I knew better than Jesus and we would just go ahead and do it my way. All of those things, I can be forgiven of that today and I can be given a new heart and a new mind and a new nature. Today's the day, you guys. The book of Hebrews says, behold, today is the day of salvation. Today's the day. And so my encouragement to you, be saved, be saved right now during this last song, just put your hope in Jesus, put your trust in Jesus, let his words just sink in. And we've read a lot of his words today. Just let the Lord sink them in and change your heart and change your mind. He wants to do a work in you today where you would be called what the Bible calls born again, born again, a new life, a new future, a new hope. All things that you've done have passed away and behold, all things are made new. But you've got to receive it. You've got to believe it. And so today, just trust in the Lord and just say, I don't even know if I totally believe it. I just need it. Help me believe it. Help me receive it right now. Lord, come and rescue me. And he will hear that cry. It's a simple cry. And he will hear it. Amen.